from the team at CTS, this is the TrainRate Podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm Coach Corinne Malcolm, your host for the running edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of running to bring you actionable training tips you can apply to your training. Make sure you also listen in to our cycling edition of the show with my co-host, Coach Adam Pulford, which alternates weekly with the running episodes. Now, let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by the CTS Train Right Membership. The Train Right Membership helps you get the most out of your limited training time so that you can improve your performance and achieve your athletic goals. With the membership, you get access to science-based training plans, an 800-plus workout library, and an app to track your progress, along with advice from professional coaches via an online private form. Go to trainright.com backslash membership to learn where to start and use code TRAINRIGHT for a free 14-day trial. Again, that's code TRAINRIGHT in all capital letters for a free 14-day trial. With 2021 coming to a close, Corinne and I thought it only fitting to come together for one of the final episodes of the year, or collab as the cool kids say. And we wanted to share our top three things that we learned in 2021 from coaching, podcasting, and our own training journeys. On my side of things, top learnings were a mix of reminders and hard lessons to rethink what you may already know, as well as learning or leaning into those around me in order to go to the next level instead of thinking that I could do it all on my own. So Corinne, high level for you, give us a sneak peek of what you were learning. Yeah, I think it was, there's a lot of reflection in this year. And I think it, a lot of my learnings reflect back over almost a two year period. And then uh, from like overarching topics and then also hones in on things that I discovered primarily through just conversations I had this year with both athletes and podcast guests and articles I've written to to be really these tangible things that I think have a lot of societal implications that we can bring into our own coaching, our own athletic journeys more than anything, that there's these through lines that tie everything together more than anything. That's much more articulate than than I think mine was, and I always appreciate uh, getting Corinne on here because I think her her brain and her reflection on on coaching as well as the intellect really shines through. So, uh, Corinne, it's a pleasure to uh, to get on here again on on the mics um, with both of us here. And it does sound like we're just kind of like chock full of of lessons from the both of us. So, what I'd like to do is break down our top three that we learned and then teach that to our listeners today and see um, if we can kind of showcase why they're so important and then see if we can make it applicable to our listeners as well. So are you ready to go? Yeah. I mean, how did you choose just three? Well, I had four because what I learned just before this was Corinne figured out Zencaster, the podcast operating platform that we used to do this. And she <laughs> blew my mind on a few things. So that's my fourth. Okay. Secret fourth. Okay. But you're going to kick us off because I think that, well, for the listening audience, um, I cheated. I made Adam do all the homework and then he sent me his homework. And then I said, Ooh, I can build off these things. So we're going to let Adam kick it off so that I can come in and hopefully build off of these lessons to make them hopefully broader and even more applicable if, if possible. 
I think is possible. And in cycling, we call that crafting. So it's very <laughs> advantageous. <laughs> All right. So I'll get, I'll get the uh, party started here with, with mine. And the number one thing I think that was a, a reminder slash uh, lesson was results and or success take longer than you want to admit. And I think it, it has like, it, it branches out into many aspects for me. And the, the premise is lasting change takes longer than most of us want to admit, whether we're do, you know, doing a training or, or learning a thing for the first time. And like I said, it can apply anywhere. It can apply to your career, your relationships, your own athletic pursuits. And for most of us working with athletes or training um, a long time to build a performance that, that, that we want as, as a goal. And that applicable piece, I think, is if a listener is listening now and they say, well, what do you really mean, Adam? It's what I want you to learn is take a longer term view of where your training is going, meaning um, look beyond the the big gravel grinder of 2021 um, and look to where you could take that even three, four years from, from now doing multiple events or um, really challenging yourself in, in different ways. Because I think many people right now are looking at like a, like a new year's resolution type view, new year, new me, everyone wants quick change. And that typically does not last. Okay. And to get good at something and actually it takes deliberate practice and it takes a long time in doing that. And this is a nod to Anders Ericsson, who is a huge hero of mine and his, his, his book, um, called peak is one of my favorites. And I think that it was a little bit blown out of proportion by Malcolm Gladwell with this whole 10,000 hour principle. And I've talked about this on podcasts, but to be clear, he, he didn't say that it's 10,000 hours of a thing and then you become an expert. Okay. What he said is it takes deliberate practice and you can read what that means more, but it takes intention and, and review and a lot of things go into being a deliberate practice and it takes a lot of hours and it's varied for many people in different disciplines and all this kind of stuff. But the main effect is be deliberate with what you do and do it for a very long period of time. And then you will have success to that point with endurance training and endurance athletes, the way I look at it is there's really kind of two things that are happening over time, acute and chronic changes in an athlete. Chronic changes are more like the longer lasting and generally kind of like what you want the bedrock of your training to be. Think of aerobic base, building aerobic capacity or increased mitochondrial density, aerobic um, uh, carrying capacity by increasing red blood cell count and all these things. Acute changes are more short-lived and they're usually brought out by um, intensity or intensive training. And that's more of what I've talked about in previous episodes with uh, building anaerobic capacity or anaerobic threshold training. And, and really those are the quick changes when you do the bedrock, right? When you do the chronic change or the chronic development, right? You'll be able to then dial up the acute changes when you want them or the performance aspect. And for me, as I was kind of like thinking about all this, the probably the number one episode that stood out to me with the podcast was with Dr. Steven Seiler, which is episode number 48. We talked about training stress, training load and strain, and also this longer term approach of, of coaching and training. So 
I've said a lot of what this longer term aspect means to me, Corinne. Does anything kind of pop out to you as I'm just like ranting about this? Take a long term approach, people. Yeah, well, no, I think about like junior athlete development. I think about, you know, if you want, if you want overnight results, endurance sports, probably not for you, right? Like there's, there's no quick fix. fix. And to me, it, it also like highlights the importance of goals. And by, by goals, I also mean like those short, those like really like day to day goals. So I think athletes get hung up on that, like that big gravel ride or that big ultra instead of, and it's because development of these things are so slow over time that it's really important to be like, okay, well, what's the goal for today? What's my win today? What's the change I'm making today? And those things I think make make this long-term approach because you're right. It's a slow sport in that sense. Those things make this long-term approach just easier to maybe like pal- like more palatable, right? Because you get a little bit of that dessert every single day <laughs> so that you're not, yep. you know, binging at the end of the season or something. So I think, I think, yeah, making those little bite-sized goals every single day um, makes these, the fact that the sport is slow and takes years to develop all these things potentially um, makes it, you can find reward in that I think is the big thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I, and I think in coaching too, it's like when I'm working with an athlete, it, it is in part giving the athlete a little bit of that reward every day as well as keeping them focused on, on the long haul, because it's not just looking at the long term and it's not just looking at today. It's always looking ahead, looking at here and now, looking ahead, looking here and now, and, and developing a strategy that develops success over the long run while keeping you focused and motivated in the short term. And I think one 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 good example of this too, and I was just reflecting on why this is, is, is one athlete that I started working with earlier this season, but I've worked with her before in the past. She's an elite athlete and she, and she's actually worked with um, another CTS coach as well. kind of in that intern, she's been on high level teams and she did a really good job of this aerobic base training. When she came to me, she was having some performance issues and things. And she was like, Hey, let's start doing this. And it was just before it was before the Olympics. And I was like, all right, let, let's do this. And so when I looked at the data, it's like the chronic was taken care of. The chronic training load, the chronic, the aerobic base was there. And all we needed was some intentional, deliberate intensity to bring it out. And in short, like we did the right things at the right time. She had a tremendous season, uh, performed well at the Olympics, won both of her national championships in her country. And now we're gearing up for a very good, you know, 2022. However, it was nothing really that that I did. I mean, she did the work, but it was this this opportunity in the here and now where those three years were built and the opportunity was to do the here and now. And that's where I think, say, many, many athletes or some coaches, you know, if you don't bring that out right when they should, that you miss the opportunity, you miss the window. But it was also pretty easy on my end because it was like, well, it's already built. <laughs> so here we go. I think that's really interesting because elite cyclists, right? You're working on that Olympic cycle. You've got a four-year vision. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's yeah. something that that elites and non-elites alike can take that into their their approach and practice of sport, right? Like what's your four-year mm-hmm. vision? Yeah, you've got a big 2022 goal, but how is 2022 setting you up for 2023, is kind of how I think that we could take that Allison Jackson example and bring that forward mm-hmm. to 
to anyone, right? And ultra ultra is a really great example of this because we don't have an Olympics. We don't, you know, right? Like we've got these, <laughs> you know, you've got UTMB every year, Western States every year. Um, yeah. But I think if you're looking at long-term development, be, be it a 24-year-old or a 64-year-old, right? Like what what are you doing this year? that you're going to you're going to reap those rewards next year or the year after. I think it's really easy to be like, "Oh, this coach helped me for 6 months and I did this thing." And it's like, "Well, you probably did years of work ahead of that as well." And I think it's really easy to to forget that these really successful athletes have had not just 6 good months of training or 12 good months of training. They've had potentially years or decades of training under their belts to get to that one mm-hmm. moment. So um, I don't know if that's inspiring or the opposite, but <laughs> I think that we could take that kind of Olympic four-year or five-year cycle model and apply that to your own your own way of visualizing success and training and building towards a big goal. Absolutely. And I think just to close this one out is it's made me realize that I need to communicate those aspects to the athletes that I coach. Um, either start working with or have been working with for quite some time is to remind them of everything that they've done leading up to the here and now and where we're going, because, you know, you can't overlook what you've done, um, you know, in the past and also to motivate for that time forward, you have to kind of inspire to be like, look, this year, we're just learning. We're just learning the races. We're learning how to, how to pace. We're learning, we're learning. Meanwhile, we're building capacity and it all builds on itself. So you know, and, and I think it'll take some uh, some pressure off too for for some uh, younger athletes. Yeah, so. It's not it's not about one training session or one long run or one long ride or one perfect workout. It's this accumulation, this summation of of all the work that you've done, good and bad. And so I think it's it takes the pressure off of like one performance or one workout, even of being like, oh, this is going to tell me if I'm going to win Leadville or not. And it's like, no, no, no. It, this is or that I'm going to break this, you know, this time. It's like, no, 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 like all the work you've done builds on itself. It's not, it's not, you didn't have to nail that one workout. Yeah. I want to set you up for success, but you know, step away from thinking that you have to, if you can't do X, Y, or Z on one day that you can't take the summation of the work you've done and apply it, apply it forward. Totally. Totally. So that's, that's my number one. And it was a big number one for me, Corinne. So, so thank you for kind of listening and building off there. I want to now hear your number one. Yeah. So, my number one kind of builds off this idea and it's don't forget to do the little things. And what I mean by that is that during the initial year of the pandemic, our lives changed, right? We, many of us stopped commuting. We got a lot of time back. If I look at the athletes that I coach, we got time back in their day, right? Because they weren't commuting an hour, two hours, three hours every single day. They weren't traveling you know, every week for work, getting on planes, um, we had more time. And instead of training more, instead of being like, oh, this is an opportunity to double our training volume, we did the little things. We slept more. We spent more time with our family. We refueled properly after a long effort or a hard workout because you weren't rushing to the next thing. We stretched or some people stretched. I didn't stretch. I'm still bad at stretching. But you did the little things because you had time to do the little things, right? And it wasn't like, oh, this two-hour ride can now be a three-hour ride. It was a, I got eight hours of sleep instead of six hours of sleep. And those rewards made us better. 
It wasn't that we doubled down on training and made our training volume bigger or we did more intensity than we ever had before. We did our training better and we got better because we did the little things. And so we fast forwarded, right, from 2020 and that initial year of the pandemic to 2021. And we pretended that life was normal. And life got more normal, right? Some people started commuting again part-time or some travel came back here and there. It's not fully back. And so, but in that, we also stopped doing some of those things. We Maybe we sacrificed sleep to get that run in or that ride in before work or we're not seeing our kids as much or we're forgetting to pack that, you know, that snack that you can have at your desk at 3 p.m. so that you can get on the trainer when you get home at the end of the day. We've stopped doing the little things because we've kind of slipped back into old habits. And what I've found in athletes is that, yes, like it's not completely back to normal. We're kind of in this in-between phase, this limbo phase. That's just another opportunity for us to get creative with that time. I.e., I've got athletes, for example, who they're in the office three days a week or they're work from home one week and they're in the office the next week. And so instead of throwing out everything we did in 2020 and going back to what we did in 2019 or 2018, we've kind of taken it as an opportunity to adapt, to say, okay, like we're going to try an unusual you know, block because you can't do intensity on these days anymore. So let's like, let's be creative. Let's figure out how to use this time, how to use what we've learned in 2020 of that, of that taking the time and doing the little things while readjusting to maybe it's that commute back to work. Maybe it's that those international flights that are coming back onto people's work schedules. So I think that that's been a big, a big take home is that we can't stop doing the little things. That we that we gained during that year of the pandemic. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good lesson, and I remember uh, talking a, f- a few different episodes of, about this concept, and I think it's really unique because, and I and I'll say this: some people were able to to do the details a lot better because of their you know work from home situation and uh, the, the way the pandemic kind of like shaped up some of their habits, right? Some people didn't, right? So I'll acknowledge too that like some people's life changed not for the better in that realm. And that is a own, you know, subset of, of challenges to overcome. And I, you know, and that's super hard as well, right? Yeah, kid, kids were home those, from school. Like yeah. there, there was a lot of craziness that happened as well. And it's, you're right. It's not fair to say that everyone's life got better during that time. There's a lot of, we all struggled as right. well. For sure. So there's a lot of struggle, but there's also a lot of opportunity. And we'll talk about that adapt piece um, here in a minute because that's super important as well. But to the like to your first example of the the athlete that stopped commuting and maybe had more simplicity or more time, right? Um, they were able to do the recovery and the in the the training better and all this kind of stuff. I'm guessing that they probably did, probably didn't increase or probably did not increase training hours. Yeah. For the most part across the board, instead of, instead of building training or using the extra three hours a day as an opportunity to train Mm -hmm. more volume, instead it was an opportunity mostly to like stop shorting themselves on sleep more than anything. Right. And having that extra 30 minutes to make sure you had had food instead of, if you forgot your protein shake for the day, you were kind of SOL that those were kind of like the, the big, I think the critical pieces 
they didn't we didn't like make a dra- a dramatic jump in people's training volumes to to meet that suddenly new time available to them yeah so one thing i've said and it can be a criticism and you can argue with me too but i i often tell people it's like well it's not the training getting in your way like it's not the training that's the problem it's almost it's all the other it's almost never the training it's almost never that the training is too much or too little it's the yeah like why why spend money on x y or z if you can't get sleep or you can't you can't feed yourself or you can't you know do the little things that are going to allow you to show up and be the best version of your of yourself most days for sure and perhaps some listeners are are listening to us have this philosophical argument and say no it's really hard to get my training in and, and and my point is is like yeah that's the other part that's the other stuff right because when when you simplify your life say you quit your job you uh, I don't know, made the choice of not having kids, let's put it that way, not having a pet, not having uh, a bunch of bills and all this kind of stuff to pay. And all you can do is run. You're living in a van. And all you do is run, sleep, recover. You can do a lot more training and you're going to probably adapt and, 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 and do the sport a lot better. However, most people make the choices to not do that because they have associated a value with other things in life. So therefore you put these other things in your life, kids, job, dog, cat, whatever, um, family and relationships and all this kind of stuff to increase the quality of life. And so, but then it's not to say that those things need to go away to be an awesome athlete. What you're really honing in on is like this idea, like some people had the opportunity of simplicity and that can really, really deepen your athletic ability and the quality say of your training and recovery and the sleep needs to be first and foremost. And, and like you said, like we didn't train change training that much. We were just able to, to do it better and recover better. And I think that's, that's huge to realize. Yeah. And I work with like, I work with a slew of single parents um, or single parents with, with shared custody of children. And like, I, I, yeah, like having dependence is, is a, you know, is, is a variable in training, but that is also offered a chance to break the mold and to be creative with the weekends away versus weekends with kids or weekdays with kids versus weekdays without kids and and use non-traditional models to to meet those needs and to be really successful. So I think that akin to going back to work in the office part-time or to childcare situations like there are ways to be be your best and hold value in those things with some ingenuity, with some creativity. Um, don't, you know, don't get bogged down in the cookie cutter way of doing things. And I think that transition point of 2020 into 2021 really highlighted that, that we're in this time of flux and things are changing around us rapidly in both directions. And mm-hmm. so use this as a time to be, to be creative and to break the mold in order to continue to do those, to do those little things and do the best in the days that you can do can do them really well. Yeah. And I think the other aspect of what you just said, and that's really important is um, this idea of adaptation. And I, I think that first, like go from the athletic aspect, it's like, what's, what's one of the main differences that um, separates an elite athlete from an amateur. And my argument would be the elite athlete can adapt quicker and better. Right. And this for various reasons. But when you think about that and then you say, well, it's not the train, right? So 
take training out of it. If you can adapt quicker and better, you become more successful. And then you say, then you can apply that to other aspects of life. So you will have more success if you can adapt more quickly. You think about that in a business setting. You think about that in single parenting. You think about that in ultra running or cycle, whatever. And this adaptation piece is actually really important. So whatever, so some of the stuff that you alluded to into what you changed that allowed your athletes to adapt either more quickly or uh, more efficiently to the change. I think that it, by getting creative and doing things in a different way, is super valuable. And, and that's where I think, you know, the value of a coach an unbiased, you know, approach coming into someone's life to change a few things here and there in order to improve your life. Like that's what a coach is doing. Sure. It has training implications, but there's other stuff too. It, but that adaptation piece is super critical of what you just said. I don't think I could have summed it up better myself. <laughs> ah, that, that, was, that was super fun though. I really, that man, these lessons are valuable. Corinne. Yeah. Are great. We're going to write a book. It's going to be great. Stand, stand by. We, we have enough things on our plate, right? <laughs> this is true. This is true. Oh, including number twos. So I'll go with, I'll go with my number two here. Um, and I tried to get fancy with this title. Um, I'll probably butcher it, but, uh, let's just, let's just, let's you've got it. this. My number two is learn better pedagogy to improve your own pedagogical methods. And what I'm really talking about here is learning how to teach something kind of the art, the art along with the science of teaching and teaching others. And one thing that I did this year that was really valuable was I took a skills uh, teaching clinic with the professional mountain bike instructor association and CTS coach, Josh Whitmore was the instructor for that. And he's one of the highest level certified mountain bike instructors in the United States, Canada, and several other countries. And he's actually, you know, teaching, um, instructors now. And so I took this course and I, to, to frame it up, I've been teaching skills on mountain and road bike for over 15 years. So it was, it's something that I love and I've been doing for a very long time. So I was like, Oh, well, let's, let's do this. And the more I got into it, I was like, wow, this is really going to, uh, get me outside my comfort zone. And initially I was like, man, I have to do these lesson plans. And then I have to like be in front of these people. And I'm like, Oh, of course I do because I have to like teach and get certified and hold myself to a higher level. But it was so rich. It was so valuable. And what I learned like through that teaching was finding a good method to identify maybe like say you're already successful in a thing find a good method to explore why you're successful so that you can then teach that success even more effectively and what i found was i really needed to again like i said get outside that comfort zone do things in a different way but it allowed me to then teach way more effectively with less words with better drills using you know, better obstacles, say in trails or, or thinking things in a different way. And it just really, um, it elevated my skills teaching, but it also had this aspect of trickling over to, um, how I shape up, uh, say, well, things like this podcast, 
shaping up um, uh, outlines for curriculum that go into this podcast to other elements that go into content creation for CTS to how I even instruct my athletes when, or especially like a new athlete when I'm um, onboarding um, initially for that first three months to just expedite that learning that much more. So it gave me a vehicle to really teach more effectively. And I thought that that was, that was huge for me. Yeah. I'd say being, we oftentimes confuse being highly skilled with being with an ability to share that skill with others. And I don't know mm-hmm. if any of you have a significant other who is super skilled at something, try to try to teach you or not teach you how to do that. And Adam can kind of laugh at this because he knows my husband pretty well. And my husband was a very good mountain biker. And I was trying to do some mountain bike racing. And I'd be like, how do I do this? And he'd be like, I don't know, you just ride it. Like that was his advice. I don't know, Corinne, you just ride it. And I'd be like, yeah. um, it's a drop. And then there's a switchback at the bottom of it. And I'm in a scorpion every single time I do this, if you don't tell me how to do it. And that was outside of his skill. Like he, very skilled, but couldn't figure out how to teach these skills. And actually, same sort of thing, worked with a group in Bellingham to to like had to go through some teacher training, essentially, to teach to ride with young riders. And it made like his ability to teach skills now has gone way up because he's had to like put in the practice of teaching like i think teaching itself is a skill and i think i learn through teaching oftentimes right how many times if you had to teach a topic and been like going into the topic you're like i don't know if i understand this completely and then you have to learn it to teach it and then you teach it and you're like oh i will never forget this information forever and ever and ever so i think that there's teaching is a skill and you get better at those skills by not by necessarily doing them but by figuring out how you get other people to also do them. So I think there's probably realms of life that that just like spills out into in a big way. Yeah. Oh, wildly. So, and I I think like, first of all, in, in the sport of cycling and mountain bike in particular, it's so common for like someone to be a really good rider and be like, yeah, you just do it like this, you know, and then it's like, just just ride it, bro. Um, and you know, if you survive, right. If you can keep up, if you can not crash and break your clavicles and then you keep on riding with that person, sure. You'll improve. But are there better ways of doing it? Yes. Yeah. And there's different ways to do it. Right. I think learning as like a ski instructor was the huge, was the hugest thing of being like, okay, how do I, if I say it one way, you might not get it. But if I say it a different way, it might resonate with you. And I found the same thing in coaching. If I explain an intensity, because in running, we're not necessarily, we're not, We don't have some of the tools that mountain bikers and cyclists in general, road cyclists use as far as like having a power meter and um, using kind of a lot of hard data. Um, Some of my runners will run with a heart rate monitor, um, but a lot of them have, you know, wrist worn heart rate monitors that aren't super good. And you have to be able to talk about intensity with an athlete and explain intensity in a way that they can say, okay, like this intensity should feel like this. And sometimes that means explaining that intensity four or five different ways until there's a way that resonates with that person, with that athlete, because what resonates for you for, you know, a lactate threshold effort, which is a different, you know, different terminology on the bike than on running or skiing. Um, what resonates with you might not resonate with someone else. And so I think that that's, you have to kind of get creative in that sense of being able to vocalize skills or feelings in many different ways in order to reach each individual. Yeah. And you only get that through teaching. And I I think one thing that popped into my head as you were talking is this common, this like quote 
that it's like when you can no longer do teach. And I've always really not enjoyed that quote because it really, it, it's like a, it's like a dig on teachers. First of all, it's an uplifting of doers or uh, in our realm, elite athletes, yeah. um, not picking on Steven, but you, you know, yeah, he could ride man. And I could not like hold on to his wheel, but you know, at some point, if you, if someone's asking you to teach and, and all this kind of stuff and you can't, then yeah, you got to change and, and do something. Yeah. And a good, and, and that's so, like that idea of like a, a good athlete doesn't always make a good coach, right? Like a good, like that's, there's yeah. importance there of like, you have to be really into the coaching. We have to be really into the learning sure. to be on the other side of that as well. That just by, because you're really talented at the activity does not mean that you necessarily have the skill set to, to train or teach someone else to be, to be that, to do that. That's exactly where I was going. And you said it way better than I could have. And, and, but that's kind of the, uh, the kind of the golden curse of a coach is I, I tell people, it's like, yeah, I was the, like the fast or the slow. I was the successful of the unsuccessful. Like I was so medium. It forced me to think about how I do things and then teach it to others and then come along. Cause I was never as good to be an elite athlete. So it really forced me into effectively, you know, coaching because you're always doing and teaching and learning and in like the cycle goes round and round. And back to this Pimba course, um, it was a really cool, unique opportunity to, to do that on the mountain bike side of things. And I thought it would be more of a slam dunk and it, it stretched me and it was really good. And now it's, it's trickling over to many other aspects of my life. My main kind of take home message here is no matter how long you've been doing something or how good you think you are at something, because, because you know, you had rewards here, success given here, there's always, there's always a way that you can improve and you can generally probably do it better. So, you know, whatever that thing is for you, and it could be, you know, an endurance sport, it could also be something outside of that, but start to look for mentors and methods and tools and opportunities for you to take it to that next level. And you'll probably have to break old habits. You probably have to get uncomfortable and you'll probably like have to get some more failures before you start adding more successes. But that's part of the journey. And that's all part of it to get to that next level. I love that. And I think I can, I can jump off of that uncomfortable bit of getting uncomfortable. Um, my takeaway, my number two takeaway this year yeah. was, um, was about being uncomfortable. It was that taboo topics are only taboo if you make them taboo. Okay. Right. And so okay. I think that from, from the time I've spent this year on podcasts, um, in my community, um, writing articles, working as a coach, working with female athletes, working with male athletes um, in an endurance sport, right? This, this, this speaks to both cycling and to the ultra endurance community is that there are a lot of taboo topics in our sport around body image, about low energy availability, about relative energy deficiency in sport and about disordered eating and society at large gives those taboo topics power over us. And it's not just a societal issue, right? I see it. There have been so many stories this year about, you know, the U of Oregon story was heartbreaking of this U of Oregon coach who was only um, doing DEXA scans on his female athletes, by the way. They were not doing this to the male track athletes. They were just doing this to the female track athletes, making them have multiple DEXA scans a year to evaluate not their bone density, but their body composition 
and then taking that number and putting it into a spreadsheet and then providing basically <laughs> trying to make them lose weight by making them train more. And it's all counterintuitive. And I feel so bad for these athletes. But the fact that that's still happening, that this head coach of a division one program can be like, well, a mathematician could coach runners. You just put this number in a spreadsheet and it tells you what to do. So misses the point of coaching and so shines a light on the fact that we are still indoctrinated in a society that has these issues and doesn't want to talk about these issues. That doesn't want to talk about menstruation. It doesn't want to talk about the fact that losing your menstrual, like losing the bleeding portion of your menstrual cycle isn't normal or mm -hmm. that you might feel a certain way about your body and you might feel bad about your body even if you're in a small body and that's okay. That's there's validation in that. We all we all feel these things. Um about the fact that not only women but men, male athletes also struggle with issues with body image, issues in and around eating and their relationship to food. And I think we give these things power over us, over our teammates, over our peers, over our family members, over the athletes we coach um, by allowing society to make us feel like we can't talk about these things. And I think I've taken a kind of a side door approach to it by approaching it via the science more often than not by saying, okay, like we know yeah. bone stress injuries happen. Let's talk about this. We know, you know, more and more, more and more research is coming out about female athletes in particular about birth control and about the menstrual cycle. Okay. So we're taking a scientific slant. But if I think about my friends who are college coaches, like I, more than anything, I want their athletes to know that they can come to them when they have an issue and have a frank and honest conversation with them. And for those coaches to also institute, you know, a culture within their teams that say, hey, like this isn't normal. And if you're feeling this way or experiencing these things, like I'm here to talk to you about them and we have these resources for you. And so I feel like by having these conversations, by opening it up to wider audiences via via various forms of media, I think that we very, very slowly start to crack open these topics and it allows people to have these conversations with their friends or with their family members. And so it's been a year of learning because I have sure as shit made mistakes during it. Like I have, you know, used incorrect terminology. I have talked about things in a way where it's like, oh, that's probably disordered. I probably need to reflect on my own relationship with these things. Like I've learned a lot through that process. And I think that I think that the pandemic and the in the year since has given us an opportunity to reflect more and have maybe more bandwidth and energy to to spend time talking about these things that we might have brushed under a rug before. Um, and I think it's only going to make us better coaches. I think it's only going to make our athletes better. I think it's going to make their health and well-being better. It's going to make their performance better. Um, so I think not being afraid to have these topics or have these conversations about these topics um, I don't know, opens a door for a lot of growth from a coaching standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, from a, a human, you're a human um, standpoint, I think is just like, it's been a year of empowerment around these things. And I, I only hope that that continues from youth sports to college sports to post-collegiate sports, both at a professional and, you know, recreational level that we continue to hold, hold space for these topics around our friends and family and peers, et cetera. Yeah. Wow. That, you know, not having seen your top three surprise. Um, yeah. You're, you're blowing my mind here. And 
then I have to come up with something in, in, in retort to this. Um, but what I think is, is amazing about that is you, you, so you're absolutely right. And these taboo topics, I think historically, like where does it all come from, right? Like why do we have these taboo topics to begin with? And part of me, cause I'm the same way where it's like, I'm, I'm trying to have these conversations. I'm, I'm sometimes I do it well. Other times I'm like, just hack through that. I hope I didn't offend anyone. Um, but, and I'm learning, you know, along the way to the point where I think that, you know, my female athletes, we can talk about their menstruation and we can change workouts as needed as we go. And we can change the approach of what's successful and what's not successful, um, leading into, you know, major competitions or just different training cycles. Right. Um, additionally, taking say you know trying to identify maybe you know a disordered uh eating or like a body image issue being able to take uh, i think like you taking a science approach helps to kind of like crack the ice but i want to get the conversation going so it's not a problem right and we're entering in this time period where i think most of us want to have that conversation and and have it be open but again, I back up to say, well, why, why, did, why did it get here in the first place? And sadly, just off the cuff here, and maybe I'll botch it, but I think it has to do with like athleticism or athletics in competition being so like alpha dominated or like macho or an alpha can be male or female, whatever, but it's like only the strong survive type thing. That's like, oh, I'm not going to talk about my my food issues, my disordered eating, because I'm super light right now. I'm going real fast, right? And I don't want anybody to see that that's what I'm doing in order to do it. Or I don't want people to think whatever of me because of that. Or uh, menstruation, oh, we don't, our society doesn't talk about having a period, you know, and no one wants to talk about that with me kind of thing. And I, and I think that because some of this can make us look weak, right? And I could be super off in that, but that's like my initial kind of reaction to like, why the heck are these taboo topics taboo? Because no one wants to see your weakness. Yeah. And it, you don't or, want to share yeah. your weakness, right? That was, yeah, yeah, I had a conversation yeah. with an athlete recently, not an athlete of mine, just a kind of a friend in the community who he, we, he came on another podcast that I'm on and we discussed this, right? We discussed like his personal history with disordered eating. And, you know, he talks about having teammates who all had the same issues and no one talked about it. Or that, you know, if he talks to athletes now about his personal struggles, about what he's been through or what he's currently going through, he they'll nod along and they they're like, Oh yeah, like I same here. And it's like, okay, then why haven't we had this conversation? And I think you're right. I think it's this idea of vulnerability, this idea of showing weakness, this idea of trying to present as perfect, right? Because that's what you're mm-hmm. trying to do. You're trying to, you know climb up the stairs, the upper echelon of the top of the podium, and you're kind of willing to make those those sacrifices for your mental health and for your own physical well-being. And I think that we've, I think that this has been a year or two that where we've had really good examples in, in not necessarily maybe in running or in, in cycling per se, but in other sports that have been highlighted really well. Um, thinking about Simone Biles, like stepping away at the Olympics due to mental health, right? To, to mm-hmm. not feeling safe in her sport into making that decision and, and to highlight the fact that mental health is physical health. And I think that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, I, I think that if you're that most athletes who are struggled with, who are struggling with disordered eating, you're also struggling with mental health. 
And so I think yeah. having really high profile athletes talk about their anxiety, talk about their depression, talk about their disordered eating, um, give those things a, a space in the community, I think opens the door for, for parents to have that conversation with their kids, for coaches to have that conversation with their athletes, for athletes to be like, Hey, I see myself in this person. Maybe I need to explore that. Maybe I need to talk about that with someone. So I think those have been opportunities for everyone. So, you know, per this taboo topic thing too, I, social media isn't helping either, you know, in terms of like why we got here, because when we have now this kind of societal norm of, um, I'm going to put the, my best version out there and that's going to be me as I present to the world. Of course I want it. And then you can, you can manipulate it however you want, like in any possible way. And that's how I present. Right. But then you come into reality with other human beings and you have all these shortcomings that you don't want to talk about because again, it's seen as weak or unintelligent or not pretty or not handsome or all these things. And it's, so yeah, social media isn't helping with these, these uh, taboo topics becoming on taboo. Yeah. And at the same time, we all know that there's like this very positive thing around social media. And I think this speaks to your kind of your third point, just going to tee you up here that social media is, is a form of community. And that thing that, community is really important to all of us. It really is. And thank you for that T-ball approach there because my third uh, learnings here for 2021 is the aspect that humans and myself included here really do thrive in communities. And for me, this, this realization actually kind of spun out of the pandemic, which started a couple of years ago. And it's, it's, you know, um, even truer now. And it's the fact that, you know, humans historically, right. We've gathered together, say in, in tribes to help one another out and develop communities. And, uh, here we are now, uh, now it's not really this introverted extroverted type of thing that I'm talking about that has some application, but it doesn't matter. It, it's the fact that, uh, there's benefit in living in a society where people specialize in certain areas where, you know, there's grocery stores and there's the, there's, I don't know, churches and there's um, businesses and all this kind of stuff. We, we thrive in a community as it pertains to this endurance world that, that we're in. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of our own local communities, right? And it's our, we're both, we're all here listening endurance athletes. Then there's like team sport athletes, which, you know, in, in general speed, that's like kind of two different communities, even though we're all, we all identify as athletes. Right. But then you've got cycling and, and running and then you got mountain bike and roadies. And, and so for, for me, the reason why this kind of like thriving in a community is such a huge learning aspect is, well, this may surprise, surprise some people, but I, I recharge best alone. Okay. And, and I associate more with being an introvert. And because of that, I, th I think that oftentimes I thought that, oh, I didn't, I didn't like to be around people. I didn't like communities and, and things like this, but, and I've often joked to my wife and people that are close to me, uh, and some people were listening to this and they won't believe it, but I, I, I always say, I just need to not be around people in order to like people again. It's just, God, I, I need to get away for a while. But the pandemic for most of us had us rethink this, right? And it had actually a lot of time away from people. Um, in a way from normality, what was normal. 
to rethink and re-angle some of this stuff. Looking at relationships, looking at our communities, and hopefully for the better. Some relationships for me deepened quite a bit. And, and I'd say many in the majority have. Some some fell away, but I was also I'm also fine with that. But deeply appreciating these communities around me, and in particular, it's my community here in, in Washington, DC. The people I ride with, um, the people I associate with, the people I'm doing group rides with, say on Saturdays or or midday, um, the athletes I work with personally. Um, and also the community that I developed being, um, a a team director and being at all these big races over the years, staying in touch with them in multiple different ways to your point via social media or, Hey, just picking up the phone, you know, and, and keeping in touch, be it, you know, uh, peripheral or, or not, but like realizing how, how much value like they actually add to my life. And I didn't, I didn't fully appreciate that before. And so. I think for me, it's like, um, maybe it took a pandemic in order to, to do that, or maybe it's just like some self-reflection of what was already there. Um, but it's, it's these, uh, this idea of we really do thrive and we get better with good people around us. That's, that's my number three takeaway. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us had to reevaluate our relationship with our sports during the pandemic and, you know, did, did we miss racing? Did we like racing? And I think what I discovered and I think what a lot of my athletes discovered is that yes, racing is important, but the community aspect in and around racing was so much more important, i.e. events that were able to go off, but basically you'd, a, you'd a, it had a rolling start or you'd a leave as soon as you finished and you didn't, couldn't hang out and, you know, get a beer with your other competitors or your other friends out there really changed the atmosphere at a lot of a lot of races particularly in the ultra scene where we we do like a good a good hangout we do like to camp camp out for the weekend um we do like to watch the, the last finisher finish 30 hours later or whatever it might be that racing didn't feel like our community initially when we were kind of in this weird you know that's that's why i think people didn't gravitate necessarily towards like virtual racing for example in the running and ultra space they, they definitely happened they definitely were there but we didn't miss the racing. We missed the community. We missed the hanging out. We missed the the all the fanfare that goes along with it. And getting to return to some really big races this year just to be a part of them. I was hurt, so I wasn't personally racing. I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm gonna hug so many people. And like I identify the same as you. I think I'm a bit of a extroverted introvert like i thrive in those environments i'm gregarious but i do need my like alone time in order to to kind of reset rebalance recalibrate but getting to be in those environments again with our friends with our peers with our community um that to me was like oh it's back we're back like our community is is alive and well and we are all here together we're not we're not on the other side of a youtube channel anymore it's it felt really good yeah yeah having a good hangout I, I i like that um and very very similar to mountain bikers i mean we're we're like that um and, I, and i'd say for me it's a, like do you miss racing do you not i don't know like i only kind of get motivated to race if i'm going to be racing with another one of my athletes these days cool. really and it's either like a like a co i love i love me some stage racing and i love like kind of that uh that duo format and that's, that's really kind of my jam. I uh, haven't done, done one of those since the pandemic just yet, but in mountain bike racing, you can also kind of like gather your tribe and be like, let's go out there and just 
run these laps as, as fast as we can, right? And push each other along the way. And for me, start line and finish line, and let's let's go because I realize in so, solo training is important, but to go fast and get the most out of yourself, like I need I need people around me. I'm not one of these that you know say aim for a number necessarily and push beyond. It's like you know, I, I want true competition, right? And then I want to get to the finish line stare at each other, wonder what happened, and then start, you know, sharing those stories, have the beer and, and, and get on with, with our endurance life. So, you know, those, uh, those communities that we're talking about here, it's super rich and it takes a while, I think, to develop that. I think for me, it, it takes, it, it takes a while to like, especially like being a coach coming into a new community. A lot of people, well, I, I'll say this. My perception is that a lot of people look at a coach and they're like, oh, he's a coach and he probably thinks he knows everything. And, and so oh, this kind of thing It's like, oh, he's a coach kind of thing. And I'm thinking cycling. I don't know what I'm maybe trying to pick up on there other than like my perceived identity when I come into a new community is one that I don't want to come in and be perceived as a know-it-all. So I kind of like sit back and try to like hang and, and do the normal thing just so that I don't come across as like this pretentious know-it-all. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just lie. When they say, what do you do? You'll be like, I, I work. I'm a gardener. I, yeah. I don't I'm know what you say. I am an exercise physiologist. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what you say there. I'm a, I'm an independent contractor. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Say you're an accountant. No one has follow-up questions for an accountant. That's great. That's true. I'll, I'll use that next time. But then like five seconds later, it comes up. They'll say, oh yeah, some race. And I'll be like, oh yeah, one of my athletes just did that. Then you're like, you're an accountant with athletes. Okay, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're working in spreadsheets. <laughs> so maybe, maybe there's some truth there. Um, it feels a little bit like accounting some days. Um, I think my third thing kind of, I mean, I, I, when you sent me your list, when you sent me your homework, I said, oh, number three community, we can wax poetic on that for forever. Cause I just think we feel really passionate about the communities that we get to, that we get to be a part of, right. That tribe locally, you know, with your, your normal ride crew or your normal work, maybe you've got like a Tuesday night track club or whatever it is. Like, I think that those things Mm -hmm. are really important. You show up for those people in your community. And I think the community is, is broad too, right. It's those it's those national level events that maybe you, you get to see people you haven't seen in a while um, or, or beyond international events, getting to travel with, with one of your athletes type of thing. Like we've got these kind of micro to macro communities all within this ecosystem that is endurance sports and mm-hmm. there's overlap here and there. Um, and I think that's kind of where mine goes is that community evolves and both as an observer of 2021, looking at 2022, there's this really interesting thing happening alongside we'll say off-road cycling so we'll say we'll say gravel and and a form of mountain biking and we'll say trail and ultra there's this really interesting thing happening in both of our sports where i think both sports are jockeying for professionalism a little bit and this is not like this is not a bad thing or a good thing this is more of a this is my observation and where i think the sports are going a little bit here is that community evolves and change and things evolving is not bad. Um, I'm actually really excited about some of the things that are happening in the trail and ultra community. That's the UTMB series, kind of trying to find their footing in the sport. 
in um, off-road cycling. There's the, you know, the insane lifetime Grand Prix coming out this next year. And I'm like abundantly excited to see some friends throw down in that and, and, and follow it. But my takeaway from that too is that community decides what matters and what's authentic to the community, even as it evolves, right? So races that are outside the UTMB series, racers and races that are outside of just this one Grand Prix still matter still are important. And the community decides what matters. The community decides what is authentic to to the community, to the brand of the sport. And so I think it's really easy. There's gonna be a lot of hype. There's going to be a lot of, you know, evolving of professions, evolving of the sport, of series, of, of, you know, what your race calendar might look like, might be dictated in a certain way. But I think that even with all of that happening, even if they're good ideas or bad ideas, right? Because we're all just kind of trying to make it work. We're trying to bring new and exciting and novel things into these sports as they grow, as we as we try to garner an audience to build the sport, to build the community. At the end of the day, the community decides what's important. So it's not we, we, we can be skeptical, but I don't think we can be afraid of change because it's going to keep happening. It's going to always happen. And so embracing some of these changes and then figuring out what to you feels authentic, what to you feels what you want to invest your emotional energy in as part of your community is going to is going to set us up for so many more more years to come. So I think that my third takeaway is that the communities that we love continue to evolve and change and they're going to bring with them more people. They're going to bring with them excitement, potentially media um new new events, new disciplines altogether potentially. But at the end of the day, the community, the heart of these communities gets to kind of put their money where their mouth is, right? And or put their money where their hearts are, maybe, and invest invest in yourself, invest in the community. And then um we'll see kind of where the growth equation goes from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very um positive and dem- democratic view of it also slightly nebulous as well yeah slightly nebulous um and and i do like that and i and i think uh, the off-road uh endurance sports let's just call it that i think they are evolving like that and i'm stoked about it yeah because and that's where like the ethos of off-road i've always gravitated toward that a little bit more because it is more people based or people like driven the people are driving uh what is what is held as high value. And I really like that. And that's, it's kind of, you know, flows over into other aspects of life in terms of, um, you know, if we, if we, the people, uh, deem something worthy, okay, let's shape and, and, you know, uh, let it evolve into this direction and, and, and then change it as we go. And I think as you say that though, it also, like, if you're going to be part of that community, and part of this evolutionary process and do these events and all this kind of stuff. I think there's, there's some responsibility that falls on your shoulders to help orchestrate that evolution in some regard. Otherwise, if, if you don't help shape it, then you can't complain about it. A hundred percent. All you want to do. 100%. Yeah. Right. Cause if all you want to do is show up and do the race and then go home and be an accountant, which <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being an accountant, mind you. But since we talked about, it, um, great. Right. Like that's it. But if, if, 
if you want to steer ultra running in a, in a sort of way or mountain biking in, in, or ultra mountain biking in a way, it's like, yeah, go grab a, go grab a shovel, go, you know, kind of like go start that race and, and work with the race promoters and the trail builders and the, um, the people that are driving this evolutionary process and, and myself included on this too. Right. Um, and I think that that's where I think, um, road, side of things have not maybe there's more governance there right yeah and there's going to be a power struggle there right like you're so obviously trail and ultra doesn't have a national governing body or an international governing body like there's a power there's there's a big power struggle there for who mm -hmm. is the governing body of this thing and cycling's right. kind of in that in between where road has like a very and even and mountain bike certain disciplines have like these this very specific kind of uh oversight i would say and then off the off-road world is kind of this like, it shouldn't be a stepchild. I don't view it as a stepchild or a weird cousin or anything of the sport, but it, it, it you're right. Like it, there's more room for, I keep saying creativity. Maybe my takeaway for the whole year is creativity. Um, there's more room for creativity within the growth of that sport because it's not as strictly governed, but there's going to be a power struggle there, right? To try to try to figure out who, who are the overlords <laughs> of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. And it's already happening. Um, so we'll see with, uh, gravel worlds being a UCI event. I think that's, um, definitely, I think that is happening for 2022. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I would need to get fact checked on yeah. that one, but I'm pretty sure. I think August. Um, and then, yeah. And then onward from there. So the, the power to, this would be an interesting one too, but like just the, the struggle between a UCI gravel worlds versus the way it's always been done, kind of this underground gravel worlds sort of that. I mean, that's, that's a prime example of that power struggle. Yeah, it's like the OG, the single speed cyclocross world champs. Yeah. It's definitely sure. underground, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> Hey, I'll, I'll see you in Durango in October. So it's a, uh, I think that part of the sport is really important. And I think ultra trail stuff embodies that as a whole. We are basically the whole, the whole stepchild, the whole, the whole weird cousin of, of the running scene. But I think that, yeah, our communities are going to evolve. But like you said, like, yeah, grab a shovel, man, like get in line, grab a shovel. Yeah. I think that I was listening to someone talk about um, environmental action the other day. And they said, yeah, we are the outdoor state, right? Like all of us, runners, skiers, cyclists, mm -hmm. everything in between. Um, we are in a lot of ways our own our own state of people. And so our values, our, our thoughts and feelings can have major impacts beyond our sports. So grab a shovel call 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 your uh, local representatives your state representatives but i think that it's like one of those things where it's like we we, we do have a lot of you have power in this evolving and ever-changing yeah. world and so there's no there's no reason not to not to use it i guess is how i how i put it yeah wow that's that's a really that's a really great way of putting it um and to, to that end you know i think i think in summary you know this has been a it's been a big year for, for many people. Um, I know like reflecting back on it when we kind of were thinking of what this episode would look like, just trying to pick three topics, what was, was challenging for me. And, uh, but it also helped me realize, wow, like I've, I've also had a really good year in terms of like learning all of this. And, but it also wasn't, it wasn't like a, a normal year, right? 2021 probably wasn't the glorious, like back to normal for many people out there. Um, I, was it for you? No. Has life ever been normal? 
Probably not. No, exactly. Well, we can. No, have a but you're right. You're right. Like what normal is. my own personal life and watching it in my athletes, we all. So many athletes are tired right now because we pretended that 2021 was normal and they've been burning it at like more than both ends. And so it's like, yeah, give yourself some grace. 2021 was was not. We've learned a lot and a lot of good has happened during this year, but it was by no means normal. And I think we've downplayed that in our own lives, within our athletes' lives. And it's definitely like, I know a lot of tired humans right now who are just emotionally like, oh, they need an exhale. They need to like reset a little bit. So no, not normal. Yeah. That's my long answer. Okay. Not normal. But if it was like, say a normal or like a great new normal, cool. Keep it going. Like that is what we want. Right. Uh, but if you're like most of us still trying to figure out, you know, what is, what is the new normal? We're trying to adapt to how this landscape works. We're trying to, to steer the evolution if, if we can of, of some of our sports um, along with these ups and downs along the way, the successes and failures. If you're still trying to figure that out, you're not alone. You got two people talking on mics about, you know, how, how we're trying to do it too. So my main message from my end is to keep learning, to keep growing keep a critical eye on what you do, how you do it and look for ways to improve because then I think you'll have success. I tell my athletes often that if you ain't learning, you're dying and there's some comedy around that, but there's also a lot of truth. And so if there's anything that you put on your um, new year, new me goal list is learn, learn in different ways and up the bar on yourself because you, you won't, you won't go wrong doing that. Corinne, anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, just, I mean, reflecting on our conversation, I think I said the word get creative or the phrase get creative about a dozen times. So I think get creative, right? Don't be afraid to get creative. But also, I don't know how many athletes I've had a text recently, one day at a time, right? Like, yeah, we've got big goals. We not, might not always be in the best headspace and give yourself grace to not be in a good headspace every single day. And we're going to take it one day at a time one run at a time, one strength session at a time, one ride at a time. Like we can, we can be micro and micro little micro steps are going to, are going to add up. So I think that we need to give ourselves some grace as we head into 2022 so that we can be creative so that we can adapt and so that we can hopefully put our best foot forward when races pick up in just a couple months. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, special thank you to all of our listeners as well, as we're kind of rounding off this year. It's been another successful year on the Train Right podcast. And uh, with Corinne being the new co-host, I uh, couldn't be more ecstatic to have her not only as a CTS colleague, but uh, um, a host here on, on the Train Right podcast. And I'm looking forward to some of the shows that are upcoming. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of leave it at that because uh, Corinne and I are going to have some more collaborative episodes as well as... Um, blow your guys' minds in 2022. Let's put it that way. So thank you guys for, for listening. Thank you everybody for subscribing and being part of the train right community. And, uh, Corinne, lastly, any, any big, uh, Christmas new year plans going on for you, Stephen and Petey? Oh, no, we're just going to go ski as much powder as we possibly can and hopefully ring in the new year in such fashion. Awesome. Well, everybody should take a, uh, take an example from, from the Corinne family over there and probably do that too. You need some Christmas cookies along the way. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see you all back in 2022. There you go. Well, thanks Corinne. And thank you all.
Thanks for joining us this week on the Train Right podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com slash podcast, where you can find social links and more for our guests. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.